0: This is Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. When I was a kid, I remember election days really well. I'd go to the polling place with my dad, and it was cool because the polling place was where I had music class in elementary school. And back in the 1980s, in West Virginia, they even had little pretend ballots that kids could fill out. I remember one year, the candidates were Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mouse, and Donald Duck. Why those four, I I have no idea. Nor do I know what policies any of them would enact if they were elected mayor of Huntington. But I learned that voting was important. It was a way of celebrating living in a democratic society and also a core responsibility of such. It was a key right that black Americans and their allies struggled for and fought for for decades and finally won, embarrassingly not that long ago. But around the country, voting rights were under attack again mostly through cynical ploys by right-wing groups, groups that falsely claim election fraud and then use that as a pretext to limit who can vote. After all, if you make it harder to vote, fewer of those people will come out and cast a ballot. Back in 2020, Democrats swept into majorities in Virginia's House and Senate, and they passed laws to make voting easier in Virginia, to increase democracy, if you will, or at least democratic participation. But there's more work to be done about the Voting Rights Act of Virginia. We have not achieved full enfranchisement yet.
1: Yeah, the only thing changes is absentee ballots. That's it, bail-in ballots. Mm-hmm. But nothing pertaining as far as the formerly incarcerated. That's still out the window unless you petition the governor.
0: That's Roger Hunt. He's a community organizer with Free Dome Unlimited and New Virginia Majority. In the second half of today's show, he tells us more about how the right to vote is closely intertwined with other issues in Virginia. But first, we turn to Virginia Mercury reporter Graham Mumaw. He talked with Bold Dominion producer Catherine Hansen to run through national trends and the conditions that influence the Voting Rights Act of Virginia.
2: So we're doing this because we read your article in the Virginia Mercury. And so we were curious about doing an episode on voting rights, but we wanted to start off with sort of an overview of the history of voting rights or maybe the current state of them, just to give an explainer.
3: Sure. Um, so I think the the story nationally um, of the last couple of years has been a big portion of the Republican base just sort of fired up on conspiracy theories and falsehoods about the 2020 election and a whole bunch of Republican governors and Republican legislatures um, kind of using that as a reason to clamp down on voting access. Um, just pat- we're seeing more restrictive laws passed um, state after state after state largely as a response to um, the Republican base still being very mad about 2020 and believing in many cases falsely that lax voting laws contributed to John- Donald Trump's loss. Um, the story in Virginia has been more complicated than that. Um, because Democrats have very much been on offense recently on the issue of voting rights. So after Democrats took uh, full control of the General Assembly in 2019, they immediately set about making voting rights one of their top legislative priorities. Um, They got rid of the mandatory photo ID rule that had been on the books for, I think, the better part of a decade. Um, They created 45 days of excuse-free absentee early voting. So. Under the previous system, you had to, you had to tell your local election office, you know, that you had some sort of hardship, you were going to be traveling, or you had to work on election day, you had to provide some excuse in order to get a mail, uh, a ballot in the mail, um, and not show up on election day. So in the last couple of elections, we've seen, a, especially with the pandemic, we've seen just a massive, massive spike in early voting, um, much of it through the mail during the early days of the pandemic. but. We've seen last year, I'm sure you saw just the election seems to start, you know, in September and you just see big lines and there's people voting for a couple months as opposed to it all being done on one day. Democrats also created close to automatic voter registration. So a lot of people registered to vote through the DMV um, and under the previous system, you had to sort of check a box to opt in to say you wanted your information to be sent to your election office to be registered to vote. They changed that so that now that is opt out so by default they're going to send your information get you on the rolls and that was just seen as a way to get more people registered to vote whenever they go to the dmv to get a driver's license renew their driver's license anything like that so democrats really did make it much easier to vote than it had been previously um, and as we saw in 2020 donald trump lost in virginia by 10 points But I think what really complicates Virginia's story on this is what happened last year, where under the same voting rules, the rules, you know, put in place by Democrats, Republicans had a very good election year with very high turnout. And, you know, they voted against a lot of these bills that made voting much easier. Um, And I think the fact that they succeeded under the exact same set of voting rules in a state that Democrats had won handily just a year before, I think a lot of Democrats see see that as just proof that the Republican concerns that loose voting laws are gonna lead to rampant fraud and cheating is gonna help Democrats steal the election. It clearly didn't pan out because we now have Republicans in all three statewide offices, Republicans won back control of the House of Delegates under the same voting rules that they were very much criticizing. But I think it also cuts a little bit against the, the idea that some Democrats had that there were just stricter voting laws just kind of suppress a huge number of votes and that as long as you if you make it easy to vote that is always going to accrue to democrats benefit in future elections because the people who find it hardest to vote under restrictive voting rules are, are going to tend to vote more democratic and we saw in this legislative session even though republicans had a very good election year last year they were still trying to undo a lot of these laws that made voting much easier they tried to bring back the photo id rule they tried to significantly narrow the 45-day early voting window, window, arguing that it should be more like just a couple of weeks, that 45 days is too long and that it costs too much money to have you know, early voting centers up and operating for that long. None of those efforts really went anywhere because Democrats still control the state senate. And as I said, voting rights are a top priority for them. But there were some minor changes around the edges. A bill did pass to I think it requires registrars to just kind of update the voting rolls more frequently to clear off people who have died. And there was another bill that passed that requires um, because there has been such a shift to early and absentee voting, that kind of complicated election data because most election offices don't, when someone goes to the early voting center or votes through mail, they don't track exactly where that ballot came from down to the the neighborhood or precinct level. So that kind of of made it hard for journalists and for political operatives and for VPAP specifically to do a type of analysis to really drill down and see, you know, neighborhood level shifts in voting patterns because you could get a sense of countywide numbers, but when you have almost half the voters and you can't say exactly, you know, which precinct they live in, that kind of made it hard to just analyze election data. So that had been something that had been under consideration for years that passed in the current session. I believe Governor Youngkin just... uh, just sign that. So I guess to wrap up, you know, it's it's still very much a, a hot button issue. But because we now have a divided legislature, I don't see there being any dramatic changes.
2: Yeah. So the the Voting Rights Act of Virginia seems like a pretty sweeping act. Is Virginia the only southern state to have done something like this in the recent years?
3: Yeah, we are. We are the only other southern state. And, and that was um, that basically is meant to create an extra level of review whenever a locality is going to make any changes to like where people are voting or where the Registrar's Office is located, something like that, that it's meant to just make sure that there is either a public comment, public feedback process, or that the Attorney General's Office um, can review it and sign off mostly to make sure that there's no racially discriminatory impacts. Um, I think a lot of Democrats were concerned that at the federal level, there's a lot of court cases getting to the Supreme Court that kind of are seen as, you know, gutting the Federal Voting Rights Act that is meant to protect minority voting power. So they very much wanted to create state-level protections. And like you said, we were the first Southern state to do that. I think that the, our Voting Rights Act is still so new and hasn't been on the books very long that it's really hard to say exactly what its impact has been so far. hmm
2: And this may be a question that's too early to ask, given that it's only been a year. But are there any remnants of racially discriminatory barriers in our voting laws still?
3: I think the one that most voting rights advocates would point to is our our constitutional policy that disenfranchises felons for life. Um, I think we are one of just a handful of states that still has that as the default policy. Um, That's not really how it works in practice um, anymore, but it most assuredly has roots in just outright racial discrimination. Um, I think it was in the the early 1900s, there was some constitutional convention where that was put in and at the time, you know, Virginia leaders very much said that is to ensure the supremacy of the white vote and to make sure that that black voters in particular cannot threaten, you know, our grip on power basically. So that that has been you know a big part of the push to to get rid of that. They see this as a just a racist relic of Virginia's darker history. Um, disproportionately impacts um, people of color who are whose communities are disproportionately you know policed, and um, it changed pretty significantly under Governor Terry McAuliffe. You might remember he made a big push to um restore voting rights to two i think it was over 200,000 um ex-offenders with the stroke of one pen um and that's that's the way the system works now you you don't by default you lose your rights but a, a governor can choose to restore them for you um so we just had this push to change the constitution to get rid of that because a lot of people feel this is such a fundamental right that it shouldn't be left up to the whims of any particular governor to decide who's deserving of it and who's not. Um, so this constitutional amendment would have basically declared the right to vote a fundamental right. Um, it said that anyone automatically gets the rights to vote back as soon as they're out of prison if they have a felony conviction. Um, and proponents believe that that would go, do a great deal to just reduce the stigma of people returning to society after they serve their time making them a full citizen again, giving them a voice in, you know, their community and how their government should run. Um, But that, to change the Constitution, a amendment has to pass the General Assembly two years in a row, and then it goes to voters um, for the final up or down vote in a ballot referendum. So this one had passed um, in the previous session, but like I said before, we saw Republicans win back control of the House of Delegates last year So that was a big question coming into this year as to was this was this going to pass again or not Um, and republicans in the house of delegates did indeed block it so it is not the amendment to end lifetime felon disenfranchisement is now basically dead because they blocked that Um, and that means it'll be up to the new governor Glenn Youngkin to he can decide how how lenient or how strict he wants to be the Republican opposition mostly arises from a debate over whether someone should have to pay off all the any debts or fines or fees they might have owed to either the courts or to, you know, the victim of the crime. Um, Republicans argue that you shouldn't, you know, you you can't really say someone has paid their debt to society if they still, you know, owe owe money to the person they wronged. And I think the counter argument to that is the right to vote is so fundamental that it shouldn't it shouldn't depend on how much money someone has at their disposal as to whether they should get the right to vote back. Um, so with that amendment failing, we are basically left in a position where we will just have to wait and see what Youngkin's approach to this is going to be. His administration has kind of said, you know, he's a believer in second chances, and he's going to continue um, the policies from the past two governors that have basically been it's it's almost automatic. They don't really tell people no. You, we just don't find you worthy of voting rights.
2: Do you think the Republicans would compromise? Maybe that you know, maybe it's not automatic restoration of enfranchisement, but it's also not just on the governor's whim. Like maybe you appeal to a board, no, or the I mean, process is easier.
3: They kind of they have made noise that they that they are for that. You know, they there there are a lot of Republicans who should, who did agree with this amendment that that their party rejected. But yeah, I think they have said they have said they are open to something that includes the. Paying off any any outstanding debts, and I think some of them would probably want to distinguish between violent crimes, particularly heinous crimes, and you know less serious offenses. I, some might even think you know someone should have to show that they are turning their life around in order to be be worthy. Um, but a lot of Democrats don't really want. In the past, have not really wanted to go for anything like that because when you have a democratic governor who who is in control of this process why they feel like that would be going backwards to compromise with Republicans to put all put all these extra rules in there um, I think some of that was based on the idea that Democrats are going to be in control for the foreseeable future and as we saw last year that didn't really happen so you know it, it could be that because we are in divided government now that maybe that will bring them to the table to hammer out a compromise. But I think part of it is the, the advocates who believe very strongly in that they, they don't, they're not interested in the part about paying off fines and fees because they see that as that's just another barrier that, you know, perpetuates racial discrimination.
2: Well, those are all my questions, but is there anything else you would like to talk about?
3: I think I'm, I'm just kind of in a wait and see mode to see how the young administration is going to approach a lot of these issues. They just appointed a new elections commissioner um just a couple of weeks ago and she is a was a local electoral board member in chesterfield county so you know she she doesn't have a whole lot of authority to dictate voting access or anything like that you know she has some small decision making power that could potentially affect that but you know I'm, I'm trying to sit down with her to sort of get a sense of her philosophy on some of these issues and um I think depending on how she views some of these things, that could be important to at least the the next year before we have the next elections in
0: 2023. Graham Mumaw is a Virginia politics reporter at Virginia Mercury. Stick around. In the second half of today's show, we're getting a boots-on-the-ground perspective from a community organizer. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. And I want to tell you, we're looking for good ideas to cover for future episodes. If you've ever had a question about state politics, just something that didn't make sense and you just want somebody to explain it to you, well, let us know. Shoot us an email at bolddominion@virginia.edu. Anyway, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Go ahead and subscribe and leave us a nice review while you're there. Bold Dominion is a member of Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. You can check out all the podcasts from the collective, from science to history to music and community affairs. We amplify the voices of people in our community and help them tell stories that matter. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. So in 2020 and 2021, Democrats in the General Assembly passed some measures to make voting easier. But voting rights activists say the state has not gone far enough. However, in this year's General Assembly session, Republicans were calling the shots in the House of Delegates. So bills supported by the Right to Vote movement got pretty well snuffed out. Roger Hunt is a community organizer with Freedom Unlimited and New Virginia Majority. He talked with Bold Dominion producer Catherine Hansen.
2: Could you just give us a rundown at what you're doing at Freedom Unlimited and New Virginia Majority?
1: Well, for um, New Virginia Majority, I'm um, basically like lead organizer for right to vote.
4: Basically,
1: mm-hmm. led the right to vote campaign, and for Freedom Unlimited, is I'm dealing with um, housing issues as far as um, re entry for formerly incarcerated.
2: Okay, and can you tell us more about the right to vote campaign?
1: Yeah, um, I would like to. I wouldn't say it was successful because it didn't pass through the um, through the House, even though it passed through the Senate this year. But the right to vote campaign was basically to hopefully grant voting rights for all returning citizens once they are done with their incarceration. Like the moment they come home from prison, they should have their voting rights restored automatically instead of having, having to go through the process of petitioning the governor, because right now he's the only one that could grant automatic voting rights. And under the last um, basically three administrations, you pretty much had your voting rights, but Currently, under the new one, I think those things are about to change.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And the right to vote would make it so that you wouldn't have to go through the governor to get those, um, those rights restored. It should be automatic. But it's a constitutional amendment. And basically, we're trying to start a referendum this year unsuccessfully, But we try to get it so that the citizens can vote to come up to change the state's constitution. Because they had to pass two years in a row. It passed the first, um, the first term last year, and it was hoping it would pass through both the House and Senate this year also, even though it passed the Senate, didn't pass the House, and was effectively killed in the House.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, do you consider um, felony reenfranchisement like the final frontier of like ending uh, racial discrimination and voting practices, or are there other measures that should also be focused on, like looking at the racial discriminatory history of Virginia?
1: Yes, that's most definitely. Um, That's just a small step as far as ending it, because, you know, it was enacted in 1909, which was as Jim Crow as it can get. And like I said, it it would be a small step, not nothing major, but it would be a huge debt as far as ending those um, discriminatory practices. It is not just for minorities, but also um, whites also.
2: Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you do work on... uh housing rights especially for, for the formerly incarcerated how is the issue of voting rights linked with other issues like police funding and marijuana legalization
1: yeah because well as far as America, marijuana legalization a lot of these formerly incarcerated are incarcerated because of marijuana and you know legalizing it that would put a, a huge dent in the inmate population and create more jobs and then, of course, that will affect policing also, because police will have to find something else to arrest somebody for instead of marijuana. Mm-hmm. If it's legal, just simple possession, that will pretty much knock that out of the park.
2: So following the general assembly session, uh, what are you guys working on right now?
1: Well, um, right now we're working on education, especially in the city of Richmond. Well, well, within the metropolitan areas, so to speak, because um, right now the school to prison pipeline it's terrible. The dropout rate is bad. The schools are crumbling and politicians are fighting over right now whether they should build a new high school or not and the funding for these schools. I mean, even though the school board just recently, within the last couple of days, accepted the mayor, the mayor of Richmond's deal as far as getting a new high school made for 180,000 students, the way the city is blossoming is going to need a bigger facility. And like I said, the schools are falling apart. Education itself is bad because the, sc- the schools are so focused on these standardized tests instead of teaching to these kids' strengths, it's causing the dropout rate to increase. I mean, like everything is just, in a nutshell, just horrible. So we want to tackle the education uh, piece right now to basically curtail the prison population, so mm-hmm. to speak, because the more educated, I mean, it's been proven, more educated kids are, less likely they'll be involved in crime college acceptance or even trade schools. And like me personally I feel that they need to put implement those programs back into the high schools, especially teaching kids trades instead of just focusing on college. I mean, even though I'm a college grad myself, mm-hmm. I'm also a tradesman. I I think that kids need these skills.
2: So we've talked about like how long the legislative process is to actually restore voting rights to the formerly incarcerated. Um But, you know, also issues such as marijuana legalization and education. So how can citizens get involved right now in different areas that sort of decrease the incarcerated population? Like, how can people get involved?
1: I mean, right now it's basically just simple education. A lot of people don't know the laws Mm -hmm. at all. So, of course, they'll be breaking laws they don't know they're breaking. So it all starts with just education, educating not only the children but the parents also.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. Like, Like, the more you know, the less, less trouble you'll get into. Mm-hmm. So educating the parents, educating the kids, um, just getting them more involved in the community activities. I mean, so just things like that. And hopefully, if the parents are more involved, that also drive down the crime rate, because the crime rate is also running rampant, especially in the city of Richmond, and county, city of Petersburg, and the Tidewater area. I mean, just... I think more adult supervision, so to speak, even though he's teenagers, some of them still need their adult supervision. And if more parents are involved in their kids' lives, their kids' activities, that'll help drive down a lot of the
4: negativity in the neighborhoods.
2: Mm-hmm. So I don't really know much about this, but for minors who are placed in uh, juvenile facilities, do they have any effect on their voting rights once they're once they turn 18? Or do they still retain that?
1: Well... It's hard to say because you know if you're if you're a minor, then of course you don't have voting rights
4: mm-hmm. at
1: mm-hmm. all, and if you're not a felon, then it wouldn't hurt you like some some minors could commit felonies, but you're still charged as a child instead of an adult,
4: okay
1: if you're convicted mm-hmm. as an adult, then yeah of course that would affect their voting rights from the beginning, but those that are charged as minors when they come home, you know they basically come home at eighteen in a clean slate,
2: okay. So can you talk about the current uh, Voting Rights Act of Virginia that was passed last year and just the effects that it had within the past years regarding voting?
1: Yeah, I don't think it really was uh, voting. But basically, it was just the, um, the referendum. Like it, it don't have really too much impact on voting that, that's already standing because mm-hmm. everything is still mm-hmm. basically the same, so yeah. to speak. Like kids still can't vote, but they can go to war. Um. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's basically it. it just it's nothing really changed. To be honest with you, They're formerly incarcerated, they, you still can't vote in prison if you're a felon. I mean, you know, misdemeanor, of course, you can vote. And it, yeah, the only thing changed was absentee ballots. That's it. Mail-in ballots, mm-hmm. but nothing pertaining as far as the formerly incarcerated. That's still out the window unless you petition the governor.
2: So does New Virginia Majority have any sort of education or outreach programs that, you know, inform people on the laws? Like, I know that we've talked about how important it is to be educated on this.
1: Yeah, we actually, we have, like, the the right to vote on coalition and core teams. Um, Like, each district in, in like, Northern Virginia, Water area, and Richmond. I know, it's like, me, I'm in the Richmond area. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a team of us. that We go out into different neighborhoods, like me, I focus on Guilford Court and the Hillside Court community. We have some people focus on the East End, some in the West End of Richmond. Like, we all try to go out to these neighborhoods and educate the people as far as voting rights, getting them to like build up these core chapters, so to
2: speak. Mm-hmm. So, if enfranchisement were automatically restored to all, how do you think that would impact communities and the children of those who are formerly incarcerated?
1: Oh yeah, it impacts impact them big time because like right now the community centers are this is bad off as the schools are. hmm And if the community is more involved, you know, the local elections. So you gotta think about the school boards, you think about city councils, they can be these formerly incarcerated can be able to vote on those also. And that also and that in in a nutshell would change everything. So the more community involvement, especially if they have the right to vote, then they get educated on on their rights, mm-hmm. they can make those changes within those communities, fix up the schools, put people in power that's actually willing to help out the kids, instead of just voting the same people in that really don't care,
4: mm-hmm.
1: because the, same, the the people that are getting voted in are being voted by people that already have their rights, but there's a lot of people in the city of Richmond and surrounding counties all over Virginia that don't have voting rights because they're formerly incarcerated. And they want to make a difference in their neighborhoods, but right now they can't.
2: So right now, how can people, you know, until this goes through the session again, how can people start getting involved at the community level to sort of mitigate the damage that's done until re-enfranchisement is restored?
1: I mean, yeah, they can still speak at city council meetings. They can still um, attend town hall meetings, um, go to the community center. They can still, well, they can't really legally volunteer, but they can still help out, like just support the kids. Mm-hmm. Because like, and for me, that's basically where everything boils down to the children. Because like I said, if crime is rampant. There's too many children getting murdered on a daily basis, especially in the city of Richmond. And um, if there's more parental involvement, especially with these formerly incarcerated, you know, they, I'm quite sure they would want to do it for their kids, I would hope.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And just being there, just being a presence—that's all it takes. Yeah. Like I, I was raised up off of, it. It takes a village to raise a child, and even if you formally incarcerated, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. And one way to redeem yourself is help out the community,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially the community
2: you live in. So, what's next for community organizers regarding voting rights?
1: I mean, yeah, it's um until the referendum um passed. I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon. Um, basically, you just got to regroup. And in my my honest opinion, it was so much separation within the different organizations that if we all had came together and stayed together from the beginning, then the, the law would have passed, as opposed to, well, one group wanted this way, one group wanted something another way, and nobody could come to a general consensus of togetherness until to the last second. And you know, of course, they are like, well, they don't really want it. If they did, they would have stuck together. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, going forward, all the different organizations like ACLU, NAACP, New Virginia, Legal Aid Justice, if all these groups could come together as one and tackle this, then the past.
0: Roger Hunt is a community organizer with Free Dome Unlimited and New Virginia Majority. Thanks to him and also to Virginia Mercury reporter Graham Mumal. My name's Nathan Moore, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Our producer and editor this week was the wonderful Katherine Hansen. You can find us online at bolddominion.org. And don't forget to subscribe. It's just a click away.